appreciate you praying for the uh, the nation, and um, we were a little worried today as to who would who would come and who wouldn't, and uh, you cast your vote, I'm assuming, and then you knew that the election is not going to be decided between the hours of 7 and 8 tonight. And so, uh, thank you for coming tonight. I really do appreciate that. We really did labor over, should we have this? Should we just go home and, and wait patiently and watch this thing unfold? And uh, we decided, you know what? Um, we can do both. And uh, so you're here and we want to learn God's word together. So I really do appreciate you coming. Um, how many were here on Sunday, this past Sunday? How many? Okay. So the majority of us. Um, I wanted to start tonight, I guess, um, finishing off what we had started last week. But in starting tonight, as I was here Sunday as well, um, Pastor Lynn doing a phenomenal job on um, Christian atheism um, discuss this idea of flipping that and going to, uh, talk about, uh, an atheist Christian and he unpacked several things. And so I wanted to start tonight really by kind of picking up, I guess, where he left off on Sunday and really just asking the question because it is a unique environment where you don't have a chance to dialogue and ask questions. And yet those of you who have been coming regularly here, um, you can see some very strong similarities and uh, parallels to what we're discussing here and then what's being discussed on Sunday. And so I wanted to open it up really just starting tonight. Uh, I got a bunch of stuff I'd like to talk about, but I wanted to give you the opportunity. Was there something said on Sunday? Was there something that, that you caught that, uh, that you think would add to our conversation here? Or was there a question maybe that you left with on Sunday that you thought maybe would fit in what we're discussing by this idea of faith and obedience and how those two things may or may not be inextricably linked, we discussed last week, and then based on what Pastor Lim was talking about and how you do come to know Christ in the cross, and he used John 3 and the story of Nicodemus. Was there anything, I just, I didn't want to leave that out there in case anyone had a question or a thought or comment before we get started tonight. No, we're good? Okay, um, I had one, so uh, how about that? Um, I heard Pastor Lynn say, and he used the word works a lot, and, and so I just, I guess I wanted to be clear on what we're talking about and what he was talking about. Pastor Lynn, as you'll recall, was talking about this idea of people like Nicodemus that were coming to Jesus saying, um, I've got a bunch of questions for you, and, and you know, the most basic was, well, how do I get saved? And Jesus was saying, it isn't by your works. And I just want to lay the groundwork tonight I think we're all clear on that, but I wanted to, I guess, emphasize that we are not talking about backloading uh, or I'm sorry, frontloading the gospel, right? We're not talking about adding things when you come to know Christ. Um, I share, you know, my story, you probably share yours in terms of talking to others who don't know Jesus. And I hope none of us, I really hope none of us are adding anything to the precious, precious message of the gospel. I hope we're clearly communicating a John three sixteen, God loves you and you're a sinner and so Christ died for you. And the only way that Jesus claims uh, for you to have that personal relationship with your God is through him, through the cross. And so we accept this free gift of salvation by this vehicle, if you will, called faith. And once we do that, folks, that is our ticket in. That is our, our welcome to the family. That is the way God has introduced himself to you and to me is through this vehicle of faith. We're saved by grace through 
faith. And so, and so I was watching Lynn on, on Sunday and I was tracking with him and, and I, I kind of pictured it almost as, um, faith, the cross, and now what we're talking about here on Tuesday nights is really post justification. Okay. So it's, it's after I become a Christian, after I become this new creature, after I'm go, after I go from death to life, from from dead to new, from old to new, then what happens to me is what, what we're discussing. And so when we toss around words like obedience and works and good works, you'll remember Pastor Lynn, I believe, said, uh, good works don't get you to heaven. Um, uh, what do you say? Um, uh, I wrote it down because I knew I'd forget it. Um, heaven isn't for good people. It's for forgiven people. And he had, the, he had the cross and the weight and the scales. And, and, and I couldn't agree more. The sola fide, right? So faith alone, by faith alone. Heaven isn't for good people. It is for forgiven people. Um, if I could almost be so bold as to even maybe just gently add on to that, I would say, and it's for changed people. Heaven isn't for good people. It's for forgiven people who are, who will be changed people. Because that's exactly what James is arguing here, is if we just stop at heaven isn't for good people, it's just for forgiven people, we run into, as James did, this host of problems which arose in the first century and have carried on to today, which is, well, is there anything then that's expected of me once I'm forgiven? Is there any change that's going to happen in my life once I become this new creature? And that's where, you know, I think, you know, I think that that's where pre-justification leaves off. You're saved by grace through faith. And then post-justification takes off and says, and because of that change, because of that radical transformation in your life, be it at four years old or 40 or 80, or heaven is reserved for those that their lives are, are because of that going to be changed. So does that make sense? I just want to, I guess I want to, I want to help clarify that. Um, if you were tracking as I was on, on Sunday, and I, and I don't think Pastor Lynn would, would at all disagree with that. Um, but I think we hear that message. Um, once I come to the cross, then the rest is a moot point. And I'm here to tell you folks, your life, your adventure has just begun. Once you come to the cross, because God's job then and how cool is our God is to take each and every one of us with our problems, with this sin that we were wallowing in, be it for four years or 40 years and to change that. And, you know, as I know, some of our sin is so deeply embedded in us. Only God can do such a great work that we can be changed. We can come out of that. And I think part of the gospel message is our testimonies is that we go forward to our neighbors and co-workers and, stu- and fellow students and we say, it wasn't me. I can't even explain how this happened. I just can give God the credit. And God's saying, yes, keep going. Keep sharing that. Keep promoting me because th- you're exactly right. Because the message then to the non-Christian is, and you can have that too. Your life can be changed too. 
I remember I became a believer when I was uh, a freshman at ASU. Um, I grew up in New York and, and um, uh, went to a 5A school and whatnot and mediocre grades, but I, uh, I went to New Jersey for a ASU convention. They brought all the stuff out to, to a, a hotel in New Jersey. And so I walked in in the dead of winter in January in, in New Jersey, and there were big, huge banners of sunshine and, and people studying out on the, on the lawn and... Uh, and I just, uh, it was the only school I applied to. I thought, you got to be kidding me. It, it was like the Disneyland of colleges. I thought, I'll get a degree, I'll study, uh, you know. And, and again, I, I was religious, but I wasn't a Christian. So I thought, boy, this is just, I'll be 2,000 miles away from home. This will be phenomenal. And so I walked onto campus, and within the first three weeks, if you've ever been to ASU, they have that big mall in the middle, and a bunch of organizations are out there, so you're filling out cards, and and I just filled out a bunch of cards, and one of them happened to be with Campus Crusade for Christ. I don't even remember filling it out. To this day, I think they got it some other means, but I, that's between them and the Lord, I don't know. But so anyway, I, so I get a call in my dorm, I'm over at Manzanilla dorm, and eighth floor, and I have this roommate. Both his parents are anthropologists, and he is a staunch atheist. Um, I was trying to think of maybe agnostic, but no, he was atheist. And so I thought, well, I don't care. I'm kind of irreligious anyway, so it doesn't matter to me. You know, I'm just into, like, where are the parties at kind of a thing as a 17-year-old. And then the phone rings, and I pick it up, and there's a guy on the other end, Steve from Campus Crusade for Christ, wants to meet with, for me with lunch, for lunch. And, and one of my problems throughout my life has been I just I can't say no to anything, including that. And so I'm looking around my dorm room at my friends, you know, thinking this religious guy wants to meet with me for lunch, but free lunch. And so I said, sure, I'll meet. And so... By God's design, as God is so uh, cool about doing, I got together with this uh, late 20s um, guy uh, who, went, who went to UCLA and blah, blah, blah. And, and we talked for about 45 minutes. And it was one of the most profound conversations I've ever had. Not because of necessarily the gospel, but because of who God brought into my life uh, for that particular conversation. Um, both of us played sports in high school. Both of us broke our femurs our junior year of high school. The, the, the things that he was talking about and I was talking about, complete strangers, were just adding up in a real supernatural way. Anyway, three months later, I become a Christian, right? So, so I remember bowing the knee in my dorm room and reading through the four spiritual laws and getting to the end and saying, God, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I know I need you in my life. I know I'm a sinner and I need, and all of the reasons why I shouldn't do this don't compare to why I need to do this. And so I'm going to do it. And nothing, there was nothing magical about it. There wasn't, uh, you know, trumpets and angels and it just, but I knew something was different. I remember going to, uh, to a friend who was practicing dance at the time and I, and I couldn't find her in the, in the dance hall. So I remember just tacking a, I just remember tacking a three by five card onto the message board not even knowing if she would see it. And I just, it just said, Michelle, I did it, Greg. Anyway, um, that winter, um, I went back home for Christmas break. And, and up until then, I had, a, I had two big problems. I loved to, loved to drink and um, loved to swear. And it just kind of came out, just kind of natural. Some of you may be struggling with that as well, where every other word or every fifth word just is, is kind of part of your language. And I don't want to get into a big debate about, you know, swearing a sin and whatnot, but I think there's enough passages that talk about healthy language and, and, and profitable language, and, and swearing for our culture just doesn't fit into that category. And guys, one of the first things to change in my life, 
overnight um, was my mouth. And, and I can only credit that to God. God said, believe in me by faith, Greg, and, and let me change your life. And I remember going home and all of my friends who weren't believers met up and, and drinking still was a problem for me. It didn't, it didn't turn on a dime, didn't get rid of it overnight. And so we're out drinking, we're out partying in upstate New York and, and we're all talking and, and shooting the bull and, and all my friends are swearing and everything that's coming out of my mouth isn't a swear to the point where one of them pulled me aside and said, I know you talked in your letters and, and stuff in the fall about be, becoming religious or whatever, whatever you said you were, but what's up with the swearing thing? And I said, isn't that unbelievable? Like I can get through a complete sentence and not have to drop an F-bomb and, and you know, S this. And isn't, that, isn't it amazing? Like I was surprised myself. To the point where one of them, an ex-girlfriend actually, spent the majority of the evening trying to get me to swear. Because it was so odd for them to hear me not swear. And guys, God uses the changed life as an introduction to the cross, to the message. So, so why I'm spending time on this, I guess, isn't just to, to belabor the point that James is making here, but it's to let you and, and me know what's so important about this changed life. It's critical, I think, to the advancement of, of the gospel. For if the non-believer doesn't see a changed life, what really, what is their motivation to come to the cross? You may be thinking to yourself, um, really, why does it matter? I mean, what, what is the point? And, and I was thinking about that this week. And so here are three things. Here are three reasons why I think it matters. Um, if I'm a believer and I have a changed life, then I can take hope in that God will do a good work in me. I don't have to wonder if that's going to happen. I can, I can rest assured, God, whatever my issues are, not the person to the right or left of me, but what my issues are. God, you will do a good work in those issues. You'll keep convicting me and pruning me and refining me and bothering me about those issues. And I can take hope in that. I can go to bed at night thinking, God, if there are sin issues in my life and I'm a believer in you, you're not going to let them go. Now, there is a balance of free will and free choice. I understand that. So God's not just going to just rush in and strip them away overnight at always. Some issues he's going to let us stew in and sit in and, and think about. Why are we doing this and what's going? But God promises at some level, guys, your life will be changed. The problem is for most of us, I would say sitting here in this room, you don't see the change like we see the change. Um, you don't see the growth and advancement like we see it. Why? Because the more we grow, the more sensitive we are to our sin. So the more we grow, the bigger the target gets on our back for the enemy. But the more sensitive we are to why do I do those things still? And we become frustrated. And so we get down on ourselves and we begin to think, yeah, I, don't, I don't see the growth here, God. But isn't it amazing when a coworker or neighbor or child or brother or sister or parent comes along and says, man, I see some, something's in you. I see some change in your life. So take comfort in the fact that God will change your life if you know him personally. Second thing I thought of is I can take hope that there are others like me. 
isn't it frustrating at times where you feel like you're on this spiritual little island out here? And you wake up sometimes and don't you wonder by all of the stuff we have in our society and all of the PC intolerance stuff and, and especially with the election commercials and, and we see you know, where our culture really is at and what, what the issues that we're voting on, almost some of them are comical in terms of coming from a biblical worldview that these are even on the table nonetheless. And so sometimes you wake up and do, do, have you ever thought, gosh, where am I the only Christian here in, in on the planet? And it can become defeating in our daily walks with him. But guys, I want to comfort you tonight by saying you can take hope that there are others like you. Jesus said narrow is the road. And I believe that the minority will always be the believer here on planet Earth. We will never be the majority, but we will be forever. And what I mean by that is there will always be believers here. And so that's why gathering together tonight and on Sundays is so critical to my spiritual health, because it's a time for me to sit down next to someone and say, I don't have to defend my faith to you. I don't have to explain why I absolutely am in love with Jesus Christ. I don't have to, to, to try to persuade you to love him like I love him. And that's why I love coming to places like Cornerstone. I absolutely love entering into worship here with Brian and, and the guys because, because it's, it's, it's what I need. It, it allows me to take off my guard, so to speak, and just say, I'm at home. I'm, I'm comfortable here. And so you can take hope in that. Um, and then finally, I guess, I can take hope in that these passages that we're about to look at really do guide me to a better life. That these passages, albeit hard, do guide me to something that is better for me. And I can take hope in that. Um, my my seven-year-old um, lost her front tooth, um, uh, when was it? Uh, I don't know, four or five days ago. She lost it at school. And so she comes, first thing, you know, we're in the van, she smiles big and big front tooth messing. Anyway, so we get home and, uh, and so she still believes in the tooth fairy and I don't care what you think about that. She does. And I, I love the fact that she does. And so, um, so, so she's going to sleep over grandma's that night. So it's like five o'clock, five thirty or so grandma's over and about to take her over to her house. And she's got a little pill tooth box thing, you know, she's shaking it, you know? And, and so I said, um, I said, um, so I wanted to get on the action of giving. Like, I love giving my kids stuff. And I thought, well, she's going to go to grandma's and, you know, grandma's going to give her the money and I don't get in on that, you know. And so I go upstairs while she's downstairs. I go upstairs and put two bucks under her pillow. And so I come back downstairs and they're all ready to go. And I said, hey, Malia, um, I was just upstairs and I think the, I think the tooth fairy was up there. And, and I said, I think, the, I think she left you some money. And... And Malia just looks at me and she's kind of just confused now. She doesn't know what to think now, but she goes upstairs reluctantly, comes down with $2 and says, dad, here's your $2 back. (laughs) And I said, and my whole point in telling you this is, is I'm now entering into the zone of like stringing lies together, right? Because, and I said, what do you mean it's my money, you know? And what are you talking about? And she holds up her tooth pill thing and says, I still have my tooth. So why would the tooth fairy leave me money 
when I still have my tooth. Then I look at the grandmother desperately like, please help me here. So I'm pulling her in on the lie. And we concoct this fanciful, well, sometimes, Malia, you know, the tooth fairy shows up in the afternoon. But because she's so busy, uh, she's going to be busy. She doesn't have time to take teeth. And so she just leaves money in advance. That doesn't mean you won't get more tonight. That just means this is a little kind of help, you know, just building these lies. And and I know it's all good and fun. But guys, I seriously, I went to bed that night. I really did think... um, is, you know, is that, all, is that healthy to, to, you know, put lie upon lie upon lie to, just to force the issue of, I just want to give you some money. Thanks for losing your tooth, you know. Couldn't I have just given her money? Um, and, so, and so when we read the scriptures, the beauty of the Bible is, if you're a believer in Jesus, you read it differently because you read it with the, with the mindset of, God, I want my life changed. So I'm going to read these passages with the hope that you will do something in my life. So when God says, don't do X, Y, and Z, I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z. And if I do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to feel bad about it. With that, with that said, and extremely long introduction, um, if you would picture over here, the word, I guess, norm. And then picture over here, the word exception. The norm and the exception. I just got to ask, guys, tonight, is the Christian life, living the Christian life by being obedient to our Savior, is that the norm for Christians? Or is that the exception? Are more Christians today living with a faith that is alive, living under the obedience of Jesus, and you can see clearly, tangibly, a changed life. Is that the norm? So when I say the word Christian, you, you say things like all imperfect, make some mistakes sometimes, but definitely no question changed life. Is that the norm? Or do we read about men and women who have given their lives to Christ and have done great things for Christ, and we say, no, that's the exception. One of my favorite movies is um, 12 Angry Men, the original version, Henry Fonda and Jack Klugman, and um, I don't know if you, 12 Angry Men. Anyway, courtroom scene, and I love it because it takes place basically in one room. It's a film shot in one room, black and white, 1950-something. Henry Fonda, right? And so Henry Fonda has the responsibility as one of the jurors to change 11 jurors' mind on a, uh, on a I think it's a murder case, teenage kid, uh, they thought he murdered someone, and, and they think it's a slam dunk. 11 guys go in there thinking, this will be done by lunch. Let's just convict this kid, get done with it. And, and Fonda's the one guy that says, let's talk about this. Let's reason together. Long story short, at the end of the movie, all 11 guys, he has persuaded them to change their opinion, to change their verdict. And that kid, and the kid walks, and, and, and he was right. And so maybe moving forward here, what I want to do is I just want to try to convince you by way of God's word about this issue of, of faith and obedience. So the first passage we're looking at here is James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. James chapter 1, starting in verse 22, James says, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word. Who delude themselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. 
Once he has looked at himself and has gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks of himself to be religious, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, our Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress to keep oneself unstained by the world, okay? Uh, turn with me then to 1 John. Go to your right. Let's go to 1 John and let's look at chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Uh, let's pick it up in 1 John three sixteen. How about we know by this that Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verse 17, but whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Okay, flip back to, let's go to the gospel of uh, Matthew Let's go to Matthew, uh, Matthew 27, I'm sorry, Matthew 7 in verse 21. Matthew 7, um, starting in 21, Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man, built his house upon the rock, rains descend, floods come, winds blow, burst against the house. Yet it did not fall for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man, built his house upon the sand, rains descend, floods come, winds blow, burst against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Uh, go two books over to John 14. Two books over to John chapter 14. That's three books, I guess, huh? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 14. Uh, John 14, let's look at... Um, Let's look at 21. Uh, start in 20, actually. John 14, 20. In that day you shall know that I am in my Father. Jesus is saying, and you're in me, and I'm in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. Uh, Judas said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, Judas, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And when we will come to him and make our abode with him, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not saying this, but God the father is saying this. Um, turn to... Actually, let's go back just one chapter to John 13. Uh, John 13. 
starting in 12, when he washed their feet and taken his garments, he reclined at the table and said to him, don't you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord for you're right for so am I, so I am. If I then the Lord and teacher washed your feet, so also ought you wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, neither is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed when, if you do them. Um, and then let's, uh, let's go back one more book to Luke. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 19. Phenomenal passage. Luke 8, starting in 19. Jesus, uh, Luke records this. And his mother and his brothers came to him, came to Jesus, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But Jesus answered and said to them, my brother, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Um, And then uh, go over to go over to Acts um, real quick, then let's just one more. Let's go to Acts chapter 19. Let's go to Acts 19. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And then we'll end up back in James. Acts 19, starting in verse 11. Phenomenal passage again. And God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that the handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them. And the evil spirits went out. Now watch this. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place. Attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits. The name of the Lord Jesus saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now watch this. And seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them And subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now watch this. And this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Now watch this. Many also of those who had believed... Then kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and begun burning them in the sight of all. And they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver, which really equates to about 200 men's wages for a year. In today's figures, we're looking at probably five to six million dollars worth of books. And then we go back to now um, James. Go to James chapter 2. So we looked at James chapter 1, a host of passages. Thank you for doing that with me. And now we finish in James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, I, I have to link it to James chapter 1. And, and I don't like jumping around 
um, James, but, I, but he makes the same point. Actually, at length, he says in 14, he says, What use is it, my brethren? If a man says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? Gives an example. If a brother or sister is without clothing in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, and yet you do not give to them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead. It's ineffectual. It's, it's unproductive being by itself. But someone well may, may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. But then he combats that by saying, well, well basically what you're saying here is, is well, you, you have faith in works. I just have faith. Show me, you know, you're, you're living your faith out with works. I'm not. And it's all good. And J- James combats that by verse 19. He says, well, well, yeah, we believe the same thing. Even the demons believe that. And the demons shudder. In other words, he goes all the way down the line to demons and say, well, even demons believe in God. So let's not, let's not believe the argument, well, your faith is a little different than mine. You just kind of, you're one of those spiritual people. You're one of those religious people where you actually live out your faith. But I can live, I don't have to do that. And I'm okay with that. And James says, no, 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 no. Even the demons believe in God. Um, and, uh, you know, if you want to use the word, even the demons have intellectual faith in God, but they shudder at him. They're not being, a, they're not being used by him. They're not believers in him. He adds then Abraham as his example, but are you willing to recognize you foolish fellow that faith, faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac on the, the altar? You see that Faith was working with his works, and as a result of works, faith was perfected. The scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed in God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And then he he gives an example of Rahab as well. In verse 26, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now again... This is not uh, to be summed up and wrapped up here in, in 40 minutes, but rather my hope is to, is to overwhelm you with scriptural evidence to say, after all of those passages, what can we conclude? What, what, what observations can we draw after looking at all those passages? And so what I did here on the board was I simply just, I just took what the passage gave me. I didn't try to explain it and... I don't know if we have time really to get into every passage. I just made a list. I took the board and I made a list of faith, alive faith versus dead faith based on those seven or eight passages. We look at the alive faith. The alive faith says in Matthew 7, someone who has an alive faith is someone who is hearing the word of God. Jesus says, those who hear my words, and then secondly, and act upon them. In James chapter 1, verse 25, not only do we find you're acting upon God's word, but you're abiding in his word. You're coming under God's word. If you have an alive faith, you are loving in deed and in truth. First John makes that clear. How do I know you're a believer? Because I see you loving in deed and truth. Not just in truth. How do I know you're a believer? Because your life is changed. 
And an example was in the book of Acts. These people saw an evil spirit leap on these guys. And then they end up naked somehow. And, and I don't know why people who are demon-possessed always end up naked. We see that with Legion. We see that here. I don't get it. Nonetheless, the believers saw that and they almost immediately said, Oh my goodness, like we are, you know, did you ever play that game where I want to get it really up close to the edge, but I don't want to go over the edge. And they were practicing some sorcery and they had books about that. And immediately when they saw that, because of the change in their life, they had to do something about it. Well, you don't know how many books I've got on these issues. It doesn't matter. Burn them. Well, you don't know who gave them to me. Burn them. You don't know the financial value. Let me sell them on Craigslist and I'll give the money to the temple. No, burn them. Why? Because you want to show as an example your life has changed and you no longer are practicing that stuff. What better way to do that than just burn it all? Uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you keep Christ's words, according to John 14. If you're a believer in Jesus, you will persevere through your trials. And I love that. I love that promise. Because, guys, over the past two years, so many days, as you can relate in your own trials, you want to give up. You want to cash it in. You want to say, there's got to be an easier way out, God. And God says, one more day. One more day. I love the discussions I have after we get done with the mine. Because I get to hear your testimonies, and I don't prompt you to do this. You come up and volunteer this information about how you haven't gotten angry when you could have, about how you didn't do a dirty deal when you could have, about how God really is changing your life in real tangible, practical ways. I hear that almost every week. So I know it's happening. And I love hearing the stories of how you went to God asking out of your trial and God saying one more day. And you gave him one more day. And then he said one more day and one more day. And all of a sudden that led into a conversation because someone else wanted to see you go through your trial on and on and on. Lo and behold, your life is better and their life is better too. I, I hear that constantly. A believer's life, according to, the, according to Galatians 5, we didn't have a chance to get to it. But guys, a believer's life is marked by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. I forgot. And faithfulness is somewhere in here. And self-control. How do I know if, if I'm talking to a believer in Jesus? The evidence is marked by the fruit of the Spirit. This isn't, this isn't um, rocket science. This isn't, well, yeah, but you don't know my background or you don't know my life. No, I know, though, if you have a changed life, this is a universal truth. If you are walking by the Spirit, you will display the fruit of the Spirit. Well, Greg, then I don't know if my husband's a believer because I haven't seen patience in his life forever. I don't know if my wife's a believer, Greg, because I haven't seen her be joyful ever. Okay, I'm not saying that I if I'm around you you're like freakishly joyful and and you know patient and the kids are flailing in the supermarket line and you're not doing anything about it because you're displaying patience. 
I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about there aren't areas in your life that still need to be worked on. You're not. You're a work in progress. You're not perfect yet. But guys, I got to go down this list and see something. I cannot go through the fruit of the Spirit and look at you who claim to be a believer and you're 0 for 9. I, 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 don't, I don't even know how that's possible. I go into your heart and, it, and the Holy Spirit says, you know, gone on gone fishing. Like, I'm out of here. I, that's, not, that's not biblical. It's not possible. Okay? Um, I know you're a believer if you help the less fortunate. If you remain unstained. And let me save the, let me save the, uh, the bottom two and then and contrast that with the deeds of the flesh. Yeah. I, just, I had a question based on uh, the last couple of weeks here and then last weekend. Is it more of a, a faith issue than an obedience issue? Because, How so? Well, my experience in life is when you're, you, whatever you believe in or your values, your, your behaviors are going to align with that. Quit, you know, like an easy <laughs> little anecdote is the tooth fairy. You believe in the tooth fairy, you put your tooth under the, the pillow, right? Yeah. You stop believing, you stop putting the, the tooth under there. Right. So if you don't, so whatever you believe, I guess I would challenge those people who say they believe or have faith and say, do you really? Because if you did, your behaviors would align with that faith. Yeah, we're on the same page here. The problem is, is that the church today is full of people by their lifestyle that would disagree with that statement. Because you're, you're saying the same thing I'm saying, which is if, you're, if the object of your faith is Jesus, right. based on these passages plus personal experience, the equal sign is change. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's and like, what they're going to argue is it doesn't have to be. If it is change, it's because good for you. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have to be. In fact, I'm very comfortable with it not changing. See, I just think that's impossible. Like you can't. You can't have one of the other. It's <laughs> yeah, I'm done. Well, let's pray. I'm yeah. <laughs> I, I just don't believe it. And that's where I come to the pe- those people so you can separate. And, say, and I'm not trying to be too confrontational here. or uh, I'm that, not either. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm trying to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> like I would say to those people, I'd say, well, you don't really believe then. And, and I hate to be the, like, but the you bad notice guy. how you said that? You <laughs> said it with like your, your voice kind of went down and you kind of paused on the way down. Like. <laughs> Because it's a sensitive issue, right? Exactly. It's a very, yeah, yeah, very yeah. sensitive issue. And I was discussing some last week, a couple of weeks ago, this issue of, okay, Greg, so are you saying that we could line up people, go through this list, and then just say, believer, not believer, believer, not believer, not believer? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Please don't, don't ever leave here thinking that I'm promoting an idea of one believer looking at another and saying, definitively, you're not a Christian, that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And that brings in legalism, and it brings in checklists, and it brings in your life that needs to look like my life. And that is, that is, you know, let's just box that up and shove it way over here in the closet because that's not what we're talking about. What I do want to promote, though, is then is, if that's the case, should I just sit idly by and let believers live any life they want? And let believers engage in the world as if they were non-believers and, and be okay with that. And, and that's my point in, in the past two weeks is saying, I am sick of that. 
I'm sick of, of, of not being able to pass judgment on a fellow believer when it's a moral issue, when I'm called to do that. And I'm sick of this, this mindset of easy believism, come to the cross, check off the box, fill out the card, drop it in, and go live life as you want to. Scripture does not allow for that. I'm just tired of it. And it's not because I, it's not because I like lose sleep over this. I just I read these passages and it just it kind of bothers me that well God, why are all of these passages saying this? Right. And and yet our culture, our Christian church culture is saying, "Eh, you know, those are for the that that's your choice if you want to do this. That's that's those are you're the hyper spiritual Christians are the ones. That's the pastor. He, this the, the, if you're a pastor, you're like better look like this. But but the congregant, I don't think so. And the and, second and part so, of that so is, I'm, I'm is the that. people that you know that, that talk about struggling with the works or saying that it's like a challenge to do works. But if you have a changed life, I mean that just comes out naturally. And that's where yeah. I don't He's understand. He's not a plant, it. by the way. I didn't plant him. Yeah. No, but my wife and I talk about this, and we got you know loved last weekend with Lynn. It was just phenomenal what he Absolutely. Saying. It ties in perfect here. And, Absolutely. And just being like, well, if you have a changed life, the, the works will come out. It shouldn't be like a challenge. It shouldn't be like, oh, this week i got right. to go try to you know put a check in the box to go and give something to the homeless. It's like. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, Lynn's first message on Christian atheism was ex- out of James 2, I believe. Uh, Lynn challenge us and i think lynn started with this is going to be a tough thing for some of you to hear because the goal here is to say to the believer look if your life looks like this you know you're on the right track you're you know it's hard it's not easy to do these things but you're on the right track but and i'll I'll take the comment over here but then i want to get to this because guys the the simple truth is if you're sitting in church every week and your life looks like this You've got some serious, serious problems in terms of where you think your final destination is, first of all. And then second, if you're aligning yourself with the Christian church and the Christian faith, and Jesus is gently coming alongside you and me saying, this lifestyle over here, if you claim to be an atheist, agnostic, irreligious, hater of God, great, you're you're lining up. Your life probably should look like this. The dangerous person is the one who says, no, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And their life clearly looks like this. And we're not gonna, I'm not going to go into detail of what this looks like, but you may be living with a person like that. You may know a person like that. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, back here, and then let me go over the deeds of the flesh. Yeah, so I just think... Uh... A couple things, right? So it's really about maturity as well. So you, part of... Um, part of worship is worshiping in community. And so there has to be the elders to bring along those who might start off looking like your right-hand column um, to get them to the left-hand column. Uh, And and that's a great point, too. This is not an overnight. When I was 17, my life looked like this. Okay, It, It doesn't happen. Nor is it this. Do not segment one area of your life what we're talking about is a picture here. You never look at a business, you know, and say, well, this one area is off, and so the whole business is wrong. 
But rather you look at the whole of the business and say, yeah, you could, you know, you need to tweak this. And, but overall, yeah, no, this, I'm seeing this. So it's a process. It's a never ending process. That's sanctification. It's maturing in Christ. And, and then I think the other piece is that, uh, not everybody's works look the same, right? Because we have all been given different. So, Absolutely. you know, mine might not be serving with the homeless or with whomever because those aren't the talents and gifts that God gave me. And so right. my works might look different to someone else. And, so. and that's why it is so dangerous when we become fruit inspectors, salvation inspectors, and say, hey, John, what do you, what do you think about? Is he, you know, that's where it becomes very, very dangerous because you're exactly right. Skill sets passions and spiritual gifts equal typically your works and they're going to look a little different in every believer's life um right here i guess and then let me go over this list yeah just real quick yeah, yeah. covered most of it yep. but what i was going to say is there's been you know seasons of my life you know i i got saved at a young age at 12 sure. and i didn't grow up in a christian home i got funny enough saved on televangelist sure. tv and yeah. but it was a real moment for me yep and uh but i had nobody in my life to to grow me, to but nobody to show me a roadmap how to navigate that, and I lived in sin for a long time. Right, and uh, I stronghold. I don't want to get too theological, but you can't lose your salvation. I and, agree, and except for blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and that's a whole, whole another topic. But I don't even know what uh, that is. So yeah, yeah, it, it's in the Bible. No, uh, no, I mean I know that. Uh, yeah, yeah that uh, yeah. Okay, Sorry, we really are done now. Let me. <laughs> wasn't trying to knock you. No, no, I get you. You know a lot more than I do. Believe no. me. Um, but I was just going to say, I think, and everybody kind of answered that, and you did too. And, yeah. and uh, because there's definitely, you you can't judge a person's heart. You can definitely definitely judge the fruit. Exactly. But at the end of the day, I believe that God's the one who decides if they're saved or exactly. not. We just love them, and yep. we need to represent that. And thank you for mentioning that. It really is a heart issue, and all of these are, or most of them, are external. They're going to show up. So here are the here are the here's a dead faith. A dead faith hears the word of God. Jesus says, uh, those of you who hear the word of God and act upon it, you're like this. But he says, those of you who hear the word of God and don't act upon it. And this is the dangerous person because you've heard the word of God. This isn't the person who lives under a rock and ne has never heard of Jesus or doesn't use Christianese. Or, no, you do use them. And that's what makes you dangerous because th this, these two are combined. You hear the word of God, but you don't act upon the word of God. And that's why to the true believer, we are mystified by that. It just doesn't make sense as we've just gone over. You know what to say um, in James chapter 2. You know what to say to the poor person. You know to say to them, oh, I'll pray for you. Oh, go and be well and God bless you. And you know exactly what to say. You just don't live it out. And that's where your mouth with a dead faith, that person's mouth becomes very, very dangerous for the, for the kingdom. Because the non-believer thinks, well, I don't know, you're saying all the right things. But, but your life looks nothing like what I think a believer's life should look like. Um, you, uh, you are exposed eventually, um, as the people were in Acts. Uh, you don't keep Christ's words. You will fall greatly. Somewhere, somewhere down the, down the line, you will fall. Your, your, your deeds will catch up with you. Um, hypocrisy is going to be typically your end result. You're going to do something and your children or your mom and dad or your spouse is going to look at you and simply in, in loving terms say, mom, you're a hypocrite. Son, you're a hypocrite. Dad, you're a hypocrite. 
And that's part of what falling greatly means. Your life is marked by things like sexual immorality, lust, idolatry, strife, jealousy, anger, envy, drunkenness. And again, these are the deeds of the flesh contrasted with the fruit of the Spirit. Now, to that point, if I slept with my girlfriend, does that mean I'm going to hell? No. What we're talking about here is a a habitual life combined with several of these things. Not just one slice of your life. Lynn used the 90-10 example. Um, You are a forgetful forgetful hearer. You deceive your own heart. And these are the two I want to focus on, guys, as we end tonight. The first is over here. If you have an alive faith, can I give you the hope tonight that 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. If any man is in Christ, he is or she is a new creature. Period. Positionally, you are a new creature. You may not feel like it all the time. Your life may not display it all the time, but you are. You will never not be a new creature. If you are alive in Christ, you are a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. When you have an alive faith, you will be blessed. We see that in James 1.12. We see that in James 1.25. You will be blessed. God will bless your life. And we could go around the room right now and give story after story of how we've been blessed. Second thing then Jesus says is you will enter into heaven. Now again, we have 30 seconds, so we're not going to tackle that tonight. But I believe if you have a lot in a live faith demonstrated this way outwardly, but inwardly in your heart, and only you know that and God knows that. Christ says you will be entering into heaven. You can you don't have to worry about that. You don't need to stress about that. You don't need to say, am I doing enough good things? You're in. Period. Your life will be changed. Your life will be blessed. And you're in. Contrast that then with what he says to those who hear the word of God but don't act upon it. He says you can come up with all the religious terms you want. You can speak all the religious ease you want. But in the end, I'm going to say to several people, I never knew you. Depart from me. So, to the person that claims to be a believer but is living life like this, you and I... If your life is like this, need to gently and in all kinds of love come along that person and say, listen, I'm not saying you're a believer or not. Please hear me. I'm saying that your life is looking very much like this. And God, I love you so much that I'm I'm deathly afraid of this for you. I'm deathly afraid that, that you're in the camp of I never knew you depart from me. Not because, not because I don't love you, not because I'm judging you. I'm simply saying, based on what the Bible says a dead faith looks like, you tell me if I'm wrong. You tell me if your life doesn't look like this, please. But what I'm seeing, son, daughter, mom, dad, husband, wife, aunt, uncle, I'm seeing this. And I'm, I'm dying on the inside because I just... I, because, because I'm seeing this as an end result. And I'm scared to death for you. That's why this matters, guys. That's why James spends ad nauseum passages on this, as do many of the other authors. Okay? So the hope I have is if I'm a new creature in Christ, the old things have passed away, behold, the new things have come. For some of us tonight, we're looking at this list, and we're not going to say it to anyone, but we're really kind of serious about this because we're looking at the list, and we're saying, okay, where where do I line up? Maybe I've grown up in a religious household my whole life, but I've never really embraced the gospel. 
Maybe I've, I've been around Christians my whole life, but I've never really understood what it means to be a Christian. And truth be told, my sin really is dominating my life. So at best, maybe some of us, we need to confess tonight. We need to just get real with God and give up that 10%. A couple weeks ago, I had to do that in certain areas of my life. I just said, God, here it is. I'm tired of it, and here it is. And maybe you need to do that as well. Okay? For some of us, we need to change teams. You have a dead faith. I don't know how else to tell you that lovingly, but you have a dead faith. And your faith needs to become alive. And there's no other person that can do that but Jesus Christ himself. For God so loved you that he gave you his son. And all you need to do is put your faith and trust in his son. And you will have a new faith. You will have an alive faith. Let's pray. God, thank you for tonight. Thanks for the mind. Thanks for these wonderful, wonderful people that come out every week and uh, love to study your scripture. I love to study them with them. So God, give us a great week. Allow us to uh, continue to be moved by you, Holy Spirit, in ways maybe that we weren't even anticipating. Uh, Father, allow us to live out our faith and those deeds um, that we can display, those fruit of the Spirit that we can display on a daily basis. God, I pray that our our family, our loved ones would be the recipients of those this week. That if we're lacking patience, we would, we would be patient this week. If we're lacking love, we would be loving this week. If we're lacking joy, that we would be joyful. Wouldn't it be a great conversation, Father, for our loved ones to have with us to say, man, you're acting very lovingly this week. And we will give you all the credit when that happens. We love you, Father. Praise Jesus in his holy name. Amen. We'll see you next week.